one is look looks to Jesus. Like that's where we started this conversation. And so the example, and again, you're like, well, Jesus isn't married. No, Jesus, it says, love your wife like Christ loved the church. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the perfect example of Jesus' love for the church that we model our discipleship, our leadership, our godliness, our everything after. That's what we do first is. Welcome to Authentic Conversations. I'm your host, Ryan James Miller, and I believe the way to freedom, fulfillment, and success ultimately comes by living as the most authentic version of yourself. If you're ready to live the life you've dreamed of, you're in the right place. All right. What up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the podcast. We are flying through this season. I cannot believe that I am almost at my summer break. Uh, we're going to be there real cl- real soon. And uh, during that break, we're going to take some time off. Uh, we're going to reshare some of our more popular episodes from this second season. Uh, but it's just crazy to think that I've had so many amazing conversations with guys talking about manhood and masculinity. And what's been so interesting is that while uh, many of these conversations have been down a similar line, everybody's got a slightly different definition or perspective uh, that has just been so awesome to dig into. And I get to do that again today. Here with me is Joe Crenshaw. Joe and I met through social media only. This is actually the first time that we're staring each other eyeball to eyeball. This is the first time that we're hearing each other's voices, which is so dope to be able to do it that way. Uh, So I'm stoked to have you, Joe. Thanks so much, man, for being on the podcast. Yes, sir. Thank you. I appreciate appreciate you having me as well. Like you said, it's awesome to just get to you know, just hang for a bit and this be our first time to actually get to chat a little bit. It's, it's cool. Yeah. We're going to get to know each other right now. Like this is it. <laughs> yeah, <it's> awesome. <laughs> All right, man. So teeing it up, everybody gets some version of the same question, you know it, so you get it. So how do you define a see, believe manhood and masculinity to be today? Yeah. Well, like you said, it sounds like Everybody's kind of probably in the same vein with some of the definitions, but a, a little bit of nuances with everybody. So when I think of masculinity, really just as a Christian and stemming from a biblical worldview, just with my whole understanding of the world and how it operates and us as humans and what we're designed for and who we're created for, I really go to Jesus, right? Because because Jesus, I think, is the the ultimate picture of what uh, men were designed to be, uh, but also what we should strive to be uh, is like Jesus. He's the perfect human being that lived on this earth, but not just the perfect human being. He was also the perfect man in particular. And so some things I go to just a lot of my go-tos in particular are like from Philippians chapter two, where so like Jesus is God. So he's, he has all the authority Uh, He reigns over all things. And from a cultural perspective, that's like real manly, right? Like to be able to be in that (laughs) position. Uh, But from a spiritual perspective, like he almost flips that completely on his head because he has the authority as God, but he steps completely underneath that and, and empties himself and takes the form of a servant, which is like, you know, the opposite side of the spectrum of somebody who has all power and all control and all authority and all these things. And 
he'll actually empty himself of all those sayings to come underneath that to the position of what would be the lowest rank or maybe even the opposite of what we would see in manhood. Somebody who mm. has to submit to somebody else or is weak or doesn't have any power. And so like that example is so huge for me in, in what I think men should be that it says, uh, though it's, it says that he emptied himself and he took the form of servant and he did not count equality with God, something to be grasped. So he emptied it so much that it wasn't even an understanding that he had his own God who he sacrificed. And that wasn't, that wasn't weak or soft or poor leadership. That was actually Jesus acting in the most profound form of spiritual headship and leadership and manhood by actually just coming underneath us. So I try to, most of the nuances of it kind of all stem from that, um, to be willing to come underneath the cultural version of what a man is supposed to be and empty ourselves and consider others more significant than ourselves. Like that's, that's men. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay. So I have a question for you, by the way, um, everybody's given kind of some, you know, some, some similar version, uh, not of that right there, but you know, some similar things you've spoken to something very specific that I'm going to get into in a second. Uh, but my last podcast, just to remind everybody and Joe, because this hasn't even gone live yet. You hear this for the first time. I heard, um, something unique in an answer that I had never heard before on my last episode or the last episode that was live. Actually, we may be a couple more into it before this, but Gabe Wander, he's a army vet, uh, he's a believer, great dude. And one of the first things he says is he goes, it's just, you know, I define manhood and masculinity. Manhood is, you know, we have to have a penis. And it was just like, <laughs> I'm like, finally, somebody said it. You know? <laughs> anyway, so I just thought that was kind of funny. And it like brings me now every single time that I have a guest on, maybe this is going to be something for future people. If you're listening and you're ever going to be a guest, like, let's just see who drops that next. Uh, <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's so, unfortunate uh, that has to be said, but it really does need to be said. Yeah, <laughs> We need nuts. to clear that up. Okay. Um, so I, I, in all seriousness, I have a question for you. So I, I'd love, um, uh, you know, the fact that you say, and I absolutely believe that Christ emulated to us what it meant to uh, be the perfect version of a man. Obviously we are not perfect. Therefore we will never fully accomplish living as he lived. Uh, but it's, it's a wonderful example for us to, to, to see, right. Uh, we were born in the image of God and therefore we are to do our best to reflect that, you know, a uh, God in his image and likeness. What I see in society in Christian culture today uh, oftentimes is because, because people or people take that, uh, to an extreme and say, well, see, Jesus was a pacifist. Um, he submitted to the authority of, uh, Rome in that day. Um, he submitted to his own death. Uh, some people would go like, like explain it to the extent of like, you know, he didn't have a choice in it. And I'm like, no, it was kind of God's plan. But anyway, um, so, so we see that. And, and at the same time, throughout other portions of scripture, just sticking to scripture for a second, we see a lot of 
healthy, what I believe would be godly aggression and strength exercise, and probably more so in Old Testament uh, uh, reading and, and scripture, just because it was more contextual then and more needed. You look at guys like Moses and Joshua and David. And so like, how do you, how do you, I don't want to say reconcile those things. Cause I think, you know, where I know where you would go there, but like, how do you see those two things? Because if we're looking to Jesus to be the example, we never saw him exercise that side of himself other than everybody says, well, he flipped over the tables. It was like, you know, one time, like, how do you, how do you insert or see like the exercising of strength and healthy, maybe biblical, even aggression, um, with yeah. that, um, uh, with that view that Christ is, uh, is kind of your, uh, should be our uh, ultimate view of manhood. Yeah, that's a really great question. And it, it's funny that you brought that up because friends that know me well were probably like, oh, he brought up pacifism. That's hilarious because it's a conversation <laughs> we have all the time. Yeah. Uh, and, but with that to say, like, I think it's really important to distinguish because there's almost this weak strength, right? Or this picture of like, strength as weakness but where what the world would just view it as just strictly weakness and not strength at all if it's just like an allowance for evil and a tolerance of evil and not actually stepping into the face of evil or there being consequences for evil because like you said that's represented all of our scriptures um from a scriptural worldview but like what i go to immediately when i hear that is is that for instance anger right like the Bible distinguish, distinguishes anger that is righteous and anger that does not achieve the righteousness of God. So mm. it's not just anger that we're after because there's a healthy version of anger and there's an unhealthy version of anger. OK, and after study, I think that where I generally tend to land uh, as far as like a brief synopsis of what healthy versus unhealthy anger looks like. If the, if the anger is centered around uh, either self-preservation uh, or self-protection or my own identity or something too that has everything to do with me, then it's likely not going to achieve the righteousness of God. But if it's anger about the Lord's name being profaned, uh, which there's so many examples of things in the culture where like we are right to be very angry about these things. And even Jesus, the example in the temple where he flipped over the the tables with the money changers, it says that he was consumed with zeal for God's house. So it's like all consuming. So the temple and the pure holiness of the temple is what created this righteous anger for even the perfect human being that was sinless and spotless and never did anything wrong. But yet in the front, in the face of this evil within the temple, he's actually flipping these tables over. So there's something to that, that it's not like, we just sit back and tolerate evil and it's okay. It will not be a protector. It will not be all the things that uh, almost seem opposed to that type of weakness that Jesus stepped into. Now we're going to also step into some really confrontational things that are, that are about the name of Jesus being lifted high and glorified and protected and not as much about me. Cause if I'm just getting angry at somebody calling me names and, and I want to flip over tables because of it. And I'm like, we shop probably should have been a pacifist in that example right there. Cause <laughs> let's go to the other side of that. But yeah, that's kind of 
what I go to. With yeah. Like yeah. Because I mean, you know, it, it, it's been taken to such extremes today that uh, for, for the Christian audience, they'll know this name, you know, a, a, as soon as I say it, but we take somebody like John Piper, who is a, a well-known theologian of the day is a pastor uh, and author of so many wonderful books, but I'll never forget reading a, a, a very specific article that he had written many years ago. And it was kind of in the wake of another one of the mass shootings or something that had happened. And he, he said something to the effect of, and I should probably save it. So when I, when I, when I restate his quote, I can quote it verbatim, but he basically said that if somebody entered his house um, with a gun, uh, and was approaching to kill his wife that he would let it happen because he would not participate in violence. And I was just like floored reading that because I'm like, I mean, how in the world do we reconcile? Like, how do we get to that place? And so I think again, you know, uh, because we've talked a little bit uh, um, uh, online. Um, and I know that you spent a lot of time in ministry and talking to guys. So how do you help guys? And, and you started to do it there when you were talking about, you know, anger, but like, how do you talk through with men today? Um, uh, how we're approaching a lot of the challenges that we're facing that are either um, requiring us, I'm going to say requiring us, I guess I get to say that because it's my podcast, requiring us to stand up and do something about it. Um, whether yeah. it's the, the defense of our family, like the physical defense of our family. Um, maybe it's just, uh, some of the issues that are fit, you know, uh, some of the beliefs that are being forced so hard that it's preventing us from even being able to potentially parent our children. Um, just things that yeah. like, we're getting to the point of like, I may actually have to exercise some form of like, gosh, I don't even want to use the word violence, but like, um, you, you know, like a, a proactive you know, physical effort here. So like, how, how, do, how do you see that conversation going in a society that I feel like needs to be asking that question and talking about it more because we either have people that are losing their minds, just taking matters into their own hands, or we have what I believe is so much of even the church and Christian men that are just laying down and watching things happen. Yeah. Uh, great question. I think I can go so many different places here, but where I'm going based on the, yeah, based on the end of your, for one, I feel like the culture that we live in is really working hard. And I would even say this is where I'm going to land with this question, that this is a spiritual thing, much much more than like us trying to figure this out from a practical standpoint like that. But our culture is squashing the voice of men hard, Mm -hmm. right? To the point, to the point where it's not even a fearful thing to speak up anymore. Just, just from like a boldness standpoint of, proclaiming the truth but it's also a dangerous thing uh it's a it's a risky thing so to actually use your voice to proclaim something that is truthful to protect something that is truthful is now something that could get some pretty significant consequences, right? Whether it's just like social consequences from a social media standpoint, like if you're vocal about your beliefs and standing up against evils that are making themselves very apparent and known in our society, then to say something 
could get you consequences and it could go viral and everybody could now be judging you for who you are and mm. saying that you don't tolerate this stuff and that's not manly and that doesn't rep Jesus rep Jesus the way you know all this stuff that like it's a risky thing but even to even to enact a position of leadership and this gets into you know, there's varying degrees of debate about this but just from the family standpoint like mm-hmm. I believe there's that God has positioned the man and the woman in varying positions, right? For the good of the marriage, uh, for yeah. the sake of the marriage, not like getting into one's one's better than the other. It's not that at all. They're equal, but yet distinctly different in the roles that God has assigned to them. But to walk out, for a man to actually walk out in some of the roles that I believe that God has designed for them and Jesus even exemplified not with a wife, but just with the church is, is, is something that can now be viewed as even abusive, right? Mm -hmm. Or the culture, like you're an overbearing, you force your will, everything as a headship that you, God's given you, you're just trying to use that to manipulate and get it for all your own gain, right? That's, it's a risky thing to use your voice and to enter into these evils. But where I was really going with this is like, I I can actually understand, and I know you were like, what the heck? Like, I don't even get it. John Piper, he's just going to sit there. I will say I understand, and this is a significant wrestle for me. Um, and I, the word wrestle, it really because of Ephesians chapter 6, where we're talking about we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but mm-hmm. we wrestle against forces of wickedness in the heavenly places and principalities and rulers and authorities that are spiritual authorities. And that's our primary battle. So I think I can get the premise by which John Piper is like, I, I, I don't want to tend towards violence. Mm-hmm. I do want to be violent at the right things. Cause I would say that John Piper is not, you know, we equate pacifism with passivity and those are two very different things. Like to just, stand by and watch because everybody gives the example like if somebody comes in to hurt your wife you're just going to stand there and not do anything and it's like well we automatically default to our worldly physical weapons that are actually quite feeble as compared to the spiritual authority and the weapons that we've been been given in christ and so it's not a matter of i would probably think that john piper's not just like I'm just going to stand by and watch and not do anything. Maybe he believes that his spiritual authority that he has over his home is actually more of a protect, like more strength than even his fists or a gun or a bat or anything that could create this level of protection over his family. And so all that say, like, I'm going all over the place, which is what I do. That's good. Yeah. I mean, I'll literally talk forever, but I'm going to keep talking and wrap it up. So it's like, it's like, we've got to reshape our definition, like what you're trying to do with this podcast, which is why I was like, yeah, I'll definitely be on this one for sure. Because we've got to really talk through this stuff and navigate this stuff, especially with the culture we're in, because man, you got to, you got to speak to these evils, right? You got to actually say something. And people are like, I hear so many times when it's talking about LGBTQ stuff, LGBTQ stuff, or the so many different things we don't have to get into all of them it's like well why abortion why does it even if why do you have to even say anything because it doesn't even affect you and i'm like are you kidding me on disney plus right now there's an entire section devoted to training my children 
to teach mm-hmm. them to accept it and to also teach them that it's evil of your parents to tell you that this is wrong. This absolutely affects you. If I don't say something, then what I'm doing is allowing the world to disciple my children yeah. instead of discipling my children. Instead of me standing up and saying, no, this is what the truth is. And it comes from the place of a loving parent because I'd rather them know the truth because the truth will set them free. And I'm going to protect them from evils. It's not me like, I'm not going to let them run in the street because the streets well, hurt them. And, and, and let me let me catch this because I want people to track with, with some of the things that have been said here. There was actually, uh, and maybe I'm going to come back to even something sooner, but you, you use the word truth. And then you talked about you like not wanting people to disciple your kids. So two things I want to hold on and then, and then hear from you. So one thing that we're, we're struggling with as a society, and we definitely have been for my whole lifetime, but it's gotten to this like crazy degree, hyperspeed now, but like this degradation of truth, right? Like we had absolute truth. We had for the most part, an absolute reality. And now like everybody just kind of gets to define that. And we know as Christians that that is the world trying to deny God and just allow whatever truth they want to see it to be. And so I think that's a part of it, right? And, and that's, I think we're a huge component to this wrestle against the, the spiritual is so important for us to be aware of is like, we're, we're, we're fighting this demonic battle to, to reclaim the truth, not that God's lost the truth, but we as a society have definitely yeah. lost it. And so we need to stand firm in that. And so I think that's important. I think the second thing that that's important and maybe like to hear a little bit more from you here is you, you talk about like, I don't want people to disciple my kids. And so somebody's argument to you would probably be, cause I've heard this, uh, when I take positions on a lot of these things is okay. So then, then you just remove your kids from it and let us be, let us do our thing. And what I say is no, because yes, God is the most important thing to me, then my wife, and then my kids. But beyond that part of which everybody loves to use the scripture against me, but now I'm going to use it back against them. When God calls me to love my neighbor and to care for the least of these, part of what that means is all of these children that are being indoctrinated into this false truth. Like somebody needs to say something. And if there are like, I don't want people parenting my kids, but at the same time, if I was doing something that was absolutely wrong, I want somebody to step in, particularly as it relates to wrong, like being sinful against God. So when we're watching all these parents leading these kids toward destruction, whether it's like, I'm on this topic right now of like all of this progressive ideology around uh, transitioning gender and hormone, like I'm going to stop it from happening or abortion. I'm going to do everything I can to stop. I don't like, I don't care whose kids they are. And so we're seeing that happen so much right now. And so how do you speak to, again, to other people that say, because even in the church, like a lot of people in the church are like, I'm going to protect my family. I'm going to make sure they're good. And and that's where I'm going to spend my time. And it's like, yes, but we, we can't turn our backs on the world because there are all these innocent children and like ignorant people that are being led to destruction. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a really good um, point to distinguish. And I think, uh, again, my mind's going to like nine different places, but I'm going to, I'm going to try to hone in on one. So, so one, not letting the world disciple my children, that does not mean that I'm going to just 
keep my kid away from the world entirely and all together. Mm-hmm. Now there's a difference because it's they're like, well, you're supposed to be in the world, but not of the world. That's the common statement. <laughs> and we apply that and we're like, okay, cool. So we'll flippantly apply that to kids too. Yeah, just throw them into the world and let the world just shape all of their understanding. That's not what I'm saying. We're not flipping about it. We're not like, no, we should just go submit to every type of institution, no matter what they're trying to teach our kids, because God says we're supposed to let our kids go in the world. Well, no, no, my kids are going to learn what's true and what's right Mm -hmm. at home. Yeah. And, and, you know, even things like, obviously we're a hypersexualized culture, right? Hyper way sexualized and, and, you know, generally when somebody's talking about like wanting to have a particular sexual conversation with their child, the default is like, well, I don't want to take away their innocence. And so I'm going to wait until a much later age to actually tell them. And the danger in that is what's happening is, is now as a six-year-old, a seven-year-old, they are with students who have already been introduced to the perverted version of these things, not the pure version, the perverted version. And so their first understanding of all of the sexual things that are pure and God designed and holy and for a holy purpose, but their first understanding of it's going to be sexualized and perverted to where now to erase all of that is going to take a whole lot more work than if I were diligent as a father to actually teach my children about the pure version, right, of sex. And we're faced with that at a lot sooner age now because it's like, well, I don't want to take away their innocence. Well, don't, because sex is actually pure. Give them the pure version and they'll remain innocent, right? They're not going to get take innocence away. But like we need to we need to also be mindful of training our children what we were meant to do. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. So our children are designed to subdue the evils of the world. Okay, that's at its root why we have children. Okay, so that we would raise up people who are God fearing, that love God's word, that love people and want to teach them about Jesus. And so, like, you can do that and balance, not just completely taking them out of the world. Like, my child, you know, used to love your neighbor. Like, we're really intentional about evangelism and trying to just share Jesus as a family together. And not just me go share Jesus and my wife go share Jesus, but we're going to model it. We're going to show our kids what it looks like so that they can actually see it. And my kid... My seven-year-old is like the easiest icebreaker ever because it makes it so much easier that she's like, hey, do you know Jesus? <laughs> right? It's a lot easier from a seven-year-old. Um, but she's already established art to, to share the love of Jesus with the lost to the point where she's coming home in tears about friends in her class that don't know Jesus and are on their way to hell. Mm-hmm. Like she's broken. and but But she's like, you know, she's getting that from us being intentional about telling the truth here. And the truth here doesn't stop in this household. The truth here, the purpose of that is to go to their students and to my colleagues and to my wife's friends, strangers we encounter. So that's good, man. Well, and again, so like, you know, bringing this again, more narrowly back to men in earlier, you were talking about like leadership and the roles of men and women. And so here I go again. Um, so I am a complementarian 
And I deeply believe that it is important to maintain these roles that God has given to us in order to properly lead and guide. And as soon as we get soft there, we start to see a breakdown again in the home, in the church, in the community. And so here's what's happened over the last, we'll call it 15 years, um, as we're kind of swinging out of, again, like this idea of toxic masculinity, even in the church with the Driscoll incident, incidents, and um, James McDonald and, and many others like them. It's like, see, that's why complementarianism is bad. And so therefore, this idea that we want to be egalitarian because culture says that men and women are equal and therefore everything is equal, not just worth and value, but like what they do, then we as the church are going to also accept that. And it was bad before. Now it's going to be good this way. But now what we're seeing again is, is men have started to lose their way and their understanding of what it means to be a leader in the home, in the church, in the community. And so as, as, you're yapping. So I know that I, I know you agree. And so where, where do you see, because I, I do want to start to land this plane a little bit, but like, where do you yeah. see uh good discipleship happening? Like, how do you see good discipleship happening to start steering the ship back towards men having a good grasp of what it means to be a man? Um, not, not as society would say, but, but truly as God would call us to in the home, in the community, and even in the church. Yeah, good questions. So uh, I think first and foremost, uh, one is look, look to Jesus. Like that's where we started this conversation. And so the example and again, you're like, well, Jesus isn't married. No, Jesus, it says, love your wife like Christ loved the church. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the perfect example of Jesus' love for the church that we model our discipleship, our leadership, our godliness, our everything after. That's what we do first is if we're just trying to just figure this out, like Proverbs says, be not wise in your own eyes. Right. Like that. Don't follow your own understanding. Delight yourself in the Lord. Right. Mm-hmm. Those are that's what we do. Not my own understanding or my own wisdom. If we're not doing that first. Then no matter how many different things that you try to strategize and be like, let's try this, this, this and this. You're doing it apart from him. And John 15 says you can't do it apart from him. So that's first. But the second <laughs> thing is model it. Right? Model it. And, and I say that first thing, not flippantly, because that's what we're not doing. That's what nobody's doing, right? We're just like, okay, well, I can fix this. And that's my tendency too, just, you know, like I'll be quick to be like, oh, I know the Bible. I know wisdom. I know understanding. So I'm going to go do it and I'll do it apart from the Lord's strength and my own strength and I'll fail miserably. But the second thing is, you know, if you are walking with the Lord and communing with him and abiding, then to model it and actually show it Mm. and show looks like to your community but that requires not neglecting the community like hebrews says don't neglect the gathering but encourage each other and build each other up and you do that by one showing it and then also speaking it and saying it to these people that are in your community you can model it to the lost world and you can model it to the church i think it's more important now to model it to the church 
Because we got some issues in the church that need to be fixed before, like Corinthians 11 says, like before we just concern ourselves with all the matters of the world. Like we need to purge the evil from the church and get that junk out yep. and focus on just and teaching it to everybody. Um, yep. And I lost well, my train of thought. No, no, that's good. Because I think that like, then that brings it in even more narrow because I agree with you. I mean, there's such a neglect of the gathering of the church. COVID made that even worse. People are at home online more than ever before. But I think that even taking that down one step further is to say, as men outraged, hopefully by what's going on out in the world, it's important to do so for the right reasons and to do that in a healthy manner. Um, but we have to first start by looking within. And I think that's the place that so many of us are missing is um, as, you know, earlier we were joking offline that, you know, you're involved and invested into a lot of different stuff, right? Like very entrepreneurial hands in a lot of things and that's fine. Um, but most men, uh, we, we spend a lot of time focused on leadership development and business development and growth and yeah. strategy. And it's like, and, and that's all good. That, that, that's all well-intentioned, hopefully. And it's all going to be for the good of your family and for the community, but we need to look within and we need to purge the e evil from our own hearts. Like, where are we getting tripped up? Where are we getting stuck? Where are we constantly having to glaze over or hide from other people for fear of being found out? So yeah. With with that, and, and maybe this 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 will be the final question I ask you is, so for you personally, as as you are are walking through this life as a husband, as a father to multiple children, uh, as a member of the community, a member of your church, like how are you continually trying to purge the evil from your own heart? And that could be as, you know, massive or as minor as, you know, a, a, as you want it to be. Yeah, that's such a good question. And that really should be the the starting point for any consideration of purging evil from elsewhere. And Matthew 7 even talks about it, like, judge not lest you be judged. But mm -hmm. it says, it says, look at the plank in your own eye before you take out the dust, but it doesn't say don't ever take out the dust in your brother's eye. It says take the plank out so that you can see clearly to remove the plank. Mm. So if you're not starting with these planks that are in your own heart, the goal is not to just always navel gaze and look at your own heart and never do anything, but just get better at yourself. The goal is so that you can see clear so that you can work on some of the dust and some of the other people that are within the church that, that needs some of this purging as well. So for me, that's that's fairly timely because that's like what I'm doing when there's when there's relational conflict in your life or when there's work conflict or or any type of like I've there's I've had a season where I'm just like, I can't hear from you. Lord, where are you? And I, what's happening? Why can I not hear your voice right now? And so that's where this plane landed for me is like before I start. You know, looking at everybody else, which some of that, like I said, can come from righteous anger, like a desire for God's church to be kept pure and holy. But some of it is also from bitterness and entitlement and my own self-protection and all of those things. And so we have got to be putting our attention and says, humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. So that humility is like we, we're willing to look at ourselves. And, and that's even, I'll finish with this, going back to like leadership and leadership in the home. Like first Peter three, 
gives a really good example of, of strength under control. That's meekness, right? Like we're as leaders, uh, there's meekness, which is not a sacrifice of strength. It's strength. It's under control. And when we consider our wives as the weaker vessel, it's not that you are beneath me either from an intelligence standpoint or from a physical strength standpoint. I don't think that's what it's meaning. It's saying like, you've got to understand that I've designed this positionally to where she's in a weaker position than you because God's given you the authority and as the authority and the headship in this home, you have got to, you have got to consider your wife and, and cherish her and be gentle with her. And because you know that she's in it, she's in a disadvantaged position as far as where we're going to go with our family. So like doing things like that are just really important. It's not a sacrifice of strength. It's just strength under control uh, in, in pursuing meekness, which requires humility and self-examination and all the things. Which wraps right back into the first answer you gave, because I think that that is such a wonderful um, point back to Christ, right? I mean, that, that was everything that he did. He was completely under control at all times. And he exercised um, aggression when necessary he exercised humility really at all times. You know, he just, he, he knew how to handle himself in every situation. And I think that, that requires us as men to continually go back to Christ, to learn, to grow, to be guided, to do the best we can to understand, to have conversations like this, to listen to other conversations like this, to be surrounded by other men that are seeking after the same things uh, that we are. Uh, because when we get off on our own, as you said, doing your own thing before long, we realize just how far gone we are. Thankfully for us as believers, God kind of slaps us and puts us back on the right track. Um, but um, it's just, it's such a necessary call for us all is to keep our eyes fixed on Christ, which is what the Bible calls us to do <laughs> anyway, yeah. but particularly as it relates to this idea of manhood and masculinity. Yeah. Good. Good. Thank you. I mean, th I, what I, what I love about this again is like, I, I wasn't joking for people that are listening. I mean, we've never had a conversation before. Um, obviously, you know, we, we knew because of, you know, running in some similar circles that we would have similar idea and, and mindset, but you know, maybe there's some nuance there. And, uh, and I just love that we get to the end of this conversation, having such a pr productive conversation. Um, and, and I know that this is going to be so encouraging. So Joe, dude, thank you. I just, I appreciate it deeply. Yeah. Thank you too, man. This was, it was awesome. I love just getting to chat with like-minded people, especially about things that are just really important that we need yeah. to be talking about. Yeah. Well, guys, for you listening out there, if there was something that just provoked a thought, maybe you have a disagreement with something that we've said, um, or maybe you needed to hear something and you want to flush it out further, please reach out. You know where to find me. I would love to continue to have these conversations. This is what I'm striving for. I don't want to make you the most successful man in the world. I don't want to make you the most, the strongest man in the world. I want to make you the best version. I want to help to make you the best version of the man that God has already created you to be. And it's conversation like this that are going to help that happen. So thanks for your support. Thanks for listening. Get out there. Be the best version of the man that God's created you to be. Peace. Thank you for joining me on this episode of Authentic Conversations. If you are ready to live the life you've dreamed of, I'm here to help. Head to ryanjamesmiller.com slash podcast to begin your journey. And if this episode impacted you in any way, pay it forward by sharing it with someone you know. 
I'm Ryan James Miller, and I'll see you next time on Authentic Conversations.